0: So welcome to the podcast and thank you for taking the time out today. Um, You know, thank goodness it's April. It finally feels like there's a little bit of buzz in the air uh, with a lineup of industry events and conferences. Uh, Are you attending any conferences this year?
1: Yeah. Well, yes. Um, Actually, I'm starting right at the beginning of April. Uh, The Incense Association is in Philly. Um, April, uh, I think it's 4th through 6th. So I'll be there and then I'm going to IIEX in Austin. excuse me. And then I head to the Wire Exec Summit in May. Oh,
0: yes, I've been hearing about the Wire Exec Summit. I myself, uh, you know, being a woman in research, have been following a lot of the events. And again, two years, it feels like it's gone by really quickly. And unfortunately, not a lot of us have been able to get together. So I bet you that's a pretty exciting uh, event for you being pretty involved with with Wire, hey? It
1: it is. uh, You know, I so look forward to it. It's Two days, a wonderful two days. The first um, is they talk about the head. The second day it's about the heart, and you know we welcome um, those women who uh, are on a leadership track to join. So perhaps one day you will um, apply and join the leadership track. It's it's a wonderful experience, and um, you know I can't say enough about Wire and what it's done for the women in our industry. So, wow, yeah, think about That's that. Funny.
0: Yeah, no, wow, that's great. I'll definitely. Um it's uh yeah, it's such an interesting industry in terms of how like women are really about encouraging each other. Um, even, you know, founder-led organizations, uh, you know, still really playing, you know, the game with each other and recognizing that I feel like collaboration may be, you know, part of the new competition. So it's amazing to see. I love to see these events kind of going on. And again, spring really feels like that. Uh, you know, trade show um, kind of mile where everyone's attending a lot of these really exciting conferences and stuff. So that's really great to hear. But before we dive in, I would like to introduce myself. I am A Torgerson, the creative and digital strategist at Citrix Research in Saskatoon, Canada, and your season three host for Stories of Market Research. And I would like to welcome Anne Brown to the podcast. Anne Brown is the CEO and principal at Gazelle Global Research Services, an established leader and innovator in managing the logistics of research on a global scale. The people at Gazelle are the business leaders and innovative innovators and research veterans, problem solvers, listeners, and advisors on the global scale. They are passionate about what they do, and they've built a network of people that bring the human approach to collaboration, all while addressing the challenges of today's marketers. So welcome to the podcast today, Anne. Wow. Thank you. <laughs>
1: awesome. well,
0: it was mouthful, that- but with 25 years in business on a global scale, I am sure I'm only kind of cracking the surface of some of the work that uh, you guys do there. So well, welcome to the for- Thank you for such a lovely introduction. Um, yeah. So,
1: you know, Gazelle Global, we uh, try to live up to our name. We're a global provider. And I think, you know, that's some of the things that we'll be talking about today that I'm anxious to uh, discuss with you.
0: Yeah. You do it. I think that's my problem. I'm a little anxious today. I'm really excited. I just, again, I feel that spring in the air to some degree. Winter has been a long run season for a lot of us, I think. So, uh, you know, given the pandemic and, and and other situations that I think we're dealing with on a global scale. So, I, you know, as we dive in here, I, I think that's what we're talking about. The world has certainly gone what feels like through a transition in the last few years Uh, Given so many issues that we're dealing with uh, facing as a society uh, with everything from climate change to the pandemic, uh, to civil unrest, to global conflict. uh, And I feel like the research community has certainly noticed and is looking for ways to work together on this. Uh, and a question for you, Anne, how do you think perhaps market research is maybe coping with this as an industry? And what are you seeing as a leader in research on a global scale and how we're dealing with this? Well, I, I mean, I think I
1: think you hit one thing a, a few minutes ago when you said, you know, it's been a long winter. I feel like it's been a two-year winter in some <laughs> way, And that, you know, we we were just uh, you know, the world was closed. I feel like the world for global research was closed for a couple of years. Um, and we're just we were just beginning to come out of it. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm we were seeing uh, an uptick in international work uh, in person, which really was mostly non-existent over the past couple of years. Um, internationally, in person was really down and. Um, you know, we, we just started working, um, internationally in person again, and I was very excited by that. Um, and I, I feel there's tremendous co- uh, cooperation out there from the providers internationally because everybody really wants to get back. Everybody wants to, you know, make things into whatever the newest normal is going to be. Um, and, you know, I, I just think it was a, a great time. And yet now we have this, problem over in the Ukraine that um is going to be it it's affecting everything I think it's going to affect everything so you know yes what you said earlier collaboration is the new competition you know what they say like the rising tide lifts all boats so Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that you know with an opening now with um countries being more open and allowing in-person research um, We'll get back to some sort of a new normal in terms of glo- working globally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make a really interesting point, and um, UK, the Ukraine, excuse me, conflict uh is indeed a pretty troubling situation and we've all been watching the event kind of unfold and even as researchers we're asking ourselves you know what can we be doing uh, to help maybe contribute to providing um more inform informative information or factual information as we so do um, in these trying times, people will turn to research often, and not only just for the data; it's for consulting, it's for problem solving, it's for listening, it's for advising. Um, what impact on research do you think that we are seeing on a global scale due to this conflict? And do you have any maybe predictions on how this could influence our future as an industry?
1: I, you know, I'm ju- I just I just think there's so much to say here. You- you know, we're watching, and that's the other thing. We can watch everything now on the news. Yeah. So we're watching um, some of the biggest brands close their doors. Uh, they're they're walking out of Russia. Um, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the BRICS. You know, we're not talking about them now, but we were talking about them, what is it, five years ago? Everybody was doing research in the BRICS. Russia was, was the R. So there was a lot of work lot of international uh, global research being done in Russia. Um, and I think that, you know, there'll be an effect on, on our major brands because they um, have been forced to leave a country where they were doing, you know, probably a lovely business. So I think there'll be an impact there. I think there'll be an impact in terms of um, the food supply um, and the costs for food and fuel, because Ukraine was a big provider of wheat, so the cost for wheat is going to rise. So, you know, when inflation happens, when costs go up, the cost of fuel is crazy now. Um, I was looking over the weekend, crude was $112 a barrel. You know, last a couple of years ago, it was $30 something a barrel. So, you know, the costs are going to be affecting everybody, consumers, um, as well as brands. So, you know, I think... That's one side of it. The other side of it is that there are researchers in Russia. There are researchers in the Ukraine. So, you know, earlier on this year, we saw uh, bids for doing work in Russia. Well, that's not happening because there's no way that they could be paid now because, um, you know, a lot of the SWIFT is closed. And, you know, feeling is that sanctions need to be laid upon Russia because of what, you know, what Putin is doing in the Ukraine. So I, I think there'll be, you know, a lot of repercussions. And we can't forget our, you know, we have researchers in the Ukraine as well, and researchers throughout Europe. There are researchers in Poland. Poland has taken on, you mm-hmm. know, a huge number of um, refugees. So, you know, I, I think they're, we're going to see an impact. So it's 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 hard to to think that now, after two years of being closed, mm-hmm now we have this terrible conflict um, that we have to face and we have to live through and um, continue carrying on.
0: It's a real attest to the impact on globalization. I think Mm -hmm. often we've ignored how easy globalization has come over the past few decades and how it's both contributed to our life Positively, um, you know, for example, I live in a very prairie part of the world, I think access to to many sorts of, you know, say exotic fruits or uh, imported goods that, you know, normally wouldn't I wouldn't uh, without globalization, I think uh, we'll start to see a, a big impact in our supply chain. Uh, especially in given areas that are uh, considered a lot more rural, perhaps to even places like New York, for example. But I, yeah, I think it, it's um, interesting to take a look at from a researcher's perspective, because I think we're all looking at it from, you know, what should businesses maybe be doing more to ensure, you know, that they kind of recognize um, market research and the value during these trying times. So do you have any suggestions for businesses that, you know, might be still hesitant or on the fence, given, um, you know, the uncertainty, what what would you have to, to give advice for those types of businesses? Well, you know, I think there's always, businesses
1: always need to be aware of what, what cons- how, how consumers feel, um, what, what's on their mind, and um, what are they willing to do, um, how are they willing to spend, and what are their feelings, and, um, you know, what, what is the mindset of the consumer these days? And I think it's very, you know, I think it's very important to continue that research. Mhm.
0: I agree and I think that's a continuous message for us as well is that um you know really when the world is you know dealing with certain things you know research really is the one thing that responds to it in a really healthy way. And I think it's shown even during the pandemic, I think there was, um, you know, for lack of a better term, a worry in the industry, like how are uh, businesses and our clients going to respond to research, you know, when we're all sending our, our uh, you know, staff and employees home and really just ensuring that uh, we're, we're keeping the doors open again for really a lack of a better term. It was such an uncertain time, you know, March, 2020 and on, uh, you know, we've seen, again, you mentioned that shift in consumerism and, And the behavior was a direct impact of the pandemic where people were online, uh, you know, as a direct result of that. And I love that you kind of have a little bit of a global lens on this. And because I feel like maybe if we take a bit of a zoom out for, for a second and look at the world as if it were a community of consumers. And I, you know, I've been looking at this for a few months now, even as a marketer myself in the market research industry, but we're always looking at how what has the behaviors that have changed uh, due to the direct impact of the the pandemic and how maybe have insights agencies have uh, changed their approach to market research as a result? Well, I think that one of the things
1: that um, this has shown us is the importance of the direct communication with the consumer. So I think that um, that is priceless, as they say. You know, being able to talk to uh, the consumer, I think, is 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 just invaluable. And I think that in that light, um, there has been more qual, and I think um, there there has been an uptake in qualitative research. And I think that's because partly because you know some there's been some there have been some quality issues with um, uh, quantitative work. And I think that um, brands. And um, end users, client side researchers are after this time of being closed out from communication with the consumer. I think that they are, you know, hungry for um, that communication, that in person communication that um, they would have in a qual environment. So I think that um, qualitative research is on the rise, and I think that in person research. Uh, research for those in um, actually speaking to people who are in um, populations that are not easy to reach um, quantitatively. I think um, online, I think that in-person work is going to be on the rise.
0: Mm. It's an interesting point. And I feel, um, again, given the pandemic, there has been this constant conversation about in-person research? Is it something that we are going to continue to see a a real need for? And I think that narrative shifted quickly, but it also shifted back to the fact that you will always uh, inherently need in-person research and online will never uh, fully replace that need. And for uh, some of the reasons you just uh, gave, and I think we'll kind of dive a little bit more into that, because Totally agree on that front. And I think, you know, maybe if we um, back up a little, because I really love this whole aspect about how qual really come in, came into play uh, during the pandemic as a really strong uh, form of methodology for us to kind of use and, and start to apply to some projects and look for unique ways of getting in front of people and still getting some actionable insights to our clients. So, a question for you What are then some maybe advantages of qualitative research? Uh, in ways that maybe um, you know businesses can still get the research that they need, while you know perhaps their look at market research is a little bit more traditional in form.
1: You know, during the pandemic, qual you know was in trouble because no one could meet in person, so the focus facilities were you know very hard hit by um, the closures, and I think that they pivoted so quickly. Uh, They did such a good job pivoting online. Um, so they still had those intimate conversations, IDIs, you know, those one-on-one talks, um, with, you know, with all kinds of people, you know, not just consumers, but with industry leaders, with, um, thought leaders. And, um, you know, I think that was the great pivot of the pandemic, uh, qual going online. And I think that it's still that that's going to continue. I think that, um, cost wise. And, um, you know, I think, I think that room was made for that. um, And now it's going to remain, but I do think that we're going to also go back to in-person focus groups again. Um, You know, now that the world is opening up, um, you know, clients in the back room, they want, they want to see their consumers. They want to be, you know, they want to be watching, they want to be hearing, they want to see They want to, they want the visuals, they want to see uh, the facial expressions and all the rest, um, the interaction in a group. So I think that that's, um, you know, that that is going to be back. And and I think in person is going to be back also, you know, you know, actually having people on the ground um, in faraway places, uh, you know, doing the real work that we've been doing for many years is, is going to be back.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I feel, again, with the uncertainty of how perhaps market research um, would conduct certain projects, I think there may have been a worry, but in all retrospect, it was a great uh, time to innovate and ideate as a as an uh, industry rather. I think it was at a time where I th- a lot of folks were really exploring qualitative research as a, as a part of their uh, industry as a much more uh, traditional aspect of the industry where I feel as if maybe in the past qualitative was always looked at as a bit more of an uh, an experiment or an add-on or uh, something a little bit more on the, the social side or the arts side or something. But I, I really appreciate that we we have come a long way as an industry in recognizing like how cool, you know, we can ideate around certain types of qualitative projects and how maybe we can do that online. But and then all retrospect as well, how important uh, quantitative is as well to really make sure that uh, we see the whole picture because qualitative helps you again, really zoom out and maybe understand some of those questions, the why's, the who's, the how's. Uh, but then really making sure that we're following it up with a really great quantitative study. Mm -hmm. So recognizing where they both play an important role. I love to see that the industry is taking notice and businesses are looking at doing things different. So that leads me maybe even back to uh, your experience and you know what types of methodologies are being explored more or less. We, we talked about maybe uh, online being something that uh, we're, we're calling the great pivot. I love that, that's a great quote. <laughs> um, what, in your experience, how have um, we seen perhaps businesses adapt even on the client side uh, in terms of working more online? Uh, do you feel in your perspective, uh, that the industry is respond, responding in a way where people can still, uh, you know, get what they need out of qualitative research. I, I think that um, research that the whole
1: menu of, of research is is the same. Just some of the levels have changed. You know, we we do have we have more online now that we than we've had years ago, uh, because now we have more. You know, in, with internet penetration. Um, such as it is, there is much more mobile. So a lot of uh, places in the world, um, research is going to be, quantitative research is going to be on mobile. That's just the way it's going to be. Um,
0: Good
1: point. Yeah. So I think that um, in that regard, um, online will be increasing. Um, You know, I think that uh, we will be constantly monitoring um, as we do at Gazelle and as you know, all of our, all of my colleagues do in their, you know, their respective firms, we're going to be um, on top of the quality issues of Quant, Um, you know, monitoring those surveys um, and, you know, trying to be one step ahead of the fraudsters. Um, You know, it's, it's top of mind to all of us. So, you know, we're out there doing that, but, you know, you're still going to have You know, in person is still going to be real because there are a lot of populations that you can't reach um, via, you know, via online. Um, There are still places in the world where you need to make an appointment to talk to someone. Um, So, you know, that's going to continue. And um, you know, I I think that uh, again, as I said before, direct contact with uh, consumers is important. And there is still, believe it or not, some research that's done on the telephone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think all of the methodologies that we use um, are all going to be at play. Um, just the levels are going to keep changing and they're going to keep changing based on what's culturally acceptable in the places where we're working. You know, what what's the right way to get to, what's the best method to get to the people that you want to talk to? That's the way we want to do it because that that's going to get the best responses the most rich data for our clients that's you know so i think i think that i think if the levels are just going to keep changing and they're going to keep changing based on what the best methodology is at the moment
0: it's amazing how we used to really look at multimodal surveys or research as one of two things And now, I mean, there's many ways to really tap into getting in front of a survey participant. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a really good point, I love that. But I I think we're also really diving into a bit of an, an area also that is often a challenge among researchers. And it's, you know, we're even looking at how businesses operate as a whole. So, you know, when we talk about the last even decade, uh, we got younger folks who are leading in terms of social causes. And honestly, they've done a really fantastic job at keeping brands um, accountable, even in terms of representation. So you have market research as an industry who you know have really tapped into this to make sure that we are you know conducting research in a manner that is ethical but also is really inclusive of everyone and we keep talking about how you know online research is super important uh you know to um you know qualitative methodologies and getting in front of a certain folks but you know it's not also something that everyone has access to internet enabled technology is still very much You know, privilege in society, although the mindset is changing among uh, governments of the world from recognizing how important uh, that need is. But I think, you know, what we're talking about is, uh, you know, this level of how research professionals should, uh, you know, respond to ensure that they're conducting research in a way that, um, you know, we're getting in front of these individuals who preach, you know, the importance of, you know, eliminating bias in research. So, uh, my question for you, Anne, is how can maybe these insights professionals conduct better quantitative or qualitative data, you know, and try to reach low incidence populations to ensure that they're, you know, providing inclusivity in their research?
1: Yeah, I I, I think it's so important today that uh, we be aware of um, making sure that our research is um, not biased. So I, I think, you know, we have to look at oversampling um you know, some of the underserved populations so that we, when we're doing our research, um, you know, we have levels um, of, of responses that are readable. You know, we, when you look at, at the low population levels of certain, um, you know, certain members of, of our population, the the levels are too low to have a good readable base in, um, you know, a sample size of, let's say, 800 or 1,000. So, you know, we need to look to, Um, oversampling underserved populations when we're doing our work, if you want to get a good read.
0: How can maybe sample providers or, you know, research providers as a whole, you know, ensure that they're doing so?
1: Well, I I think it's all about the sampling. You know, I think that you just have to be careful, Um, you know, just put a little thought into, um, you know, the, the, the research that you're doing and making sure that you have a, a sound sample base. It, you know, it it's comes at the very beginning. You know, it, it comes at, at at the bid time. You know, when you're when you're looking for um, a cost. You know, you need to, you know, put those those that information um, forth to the person that you're asking a price for. You know, to make sure that the quotas that you're looking for um, are priced out properly, and that when the study starts, you're um, you know you're going to meet the the quotas that you set. So I, I think it's very important.
0: Hmm. It's really It's really key insight, I think for individuals who are in the market research field. Um, you know, I think even living in the prairies ourselves, we experience um, this often um, remark where our prairie sample is but uh, condensed into three provinces. And I feel as if our sample in Saskatchewan, if you will, central Canada, even if we have a very similar mindset to other provinces, it, you know no one individual is the same you know i 'm sure in Alberta, our neighboring province, and in Manitoba, our other neighboring province i find it often ironic that there is that assumption that you know to meet the quota or the requirements that you know we can kind of lump the sample in into you know one essential prairie sample uh, but we, even as a business, recognize that that is not uh, how we how it should operate. So we make sure, you know, as a Saskatchewan business with our grassroots here, that when we're doing projects that are specific to our clients' needs in Saskatchewan, that we do not wrap up our sample base with other provinces. That we're very specific. Uh, even other provinces having their own sample base, but you know, geographically, you know, demographically, I think there there's even more um, to this. It's it's even deeper. Where um, you know, again, we were kind of talking about the younger demographic really understanding the need for you know ethical research, but at the same time. You know, younger people also have a different expectation in how to participate in research. So while we're trying to get in front of these demographics, these hard to reach segments, I'm wondering what should we do as market research agencies to ensure that we're getting in front of populations, that we're gathering rich insights, but in a way that they expect? So, as a market research firms, we're oversampling. But as a user who might, you know, uh, come across our uh, market research, what sh- what are they expecting from us, and what should we maybe be doing differently or the same of? Well, I, I think we have to be aware that
1: so much research is now being done um, via mobile. Um, I think I think that's very important to for us to recognize, and um, that mobile needs to be included in you know, mobile sample needs to be included in all of our projects. Absolutely. Um, And I think then once you have that, you need to face the fact that there are certain things that you have to be cognizant of. You have to be cognizant of the length of the interview. Um, You have to be, it has to be mobile, mobile ready. And um, the questions have to be engaging. You know, you you just have, you have a, you got, you need to have a, a study that's, concise and that's engaging that's keeping our keeping the respondent uh, engaged. So you know you can't expect to do a 20 minute survey on a mobile device. It, you know it, it just gets to be too long. It, it, you're not going to be able to hold anyone's attention for that much time on a mobile device. So I think you know these are things that have to be considered at, you know, as you go forward, especially when you're looking
0: to reach the younger population. I I hate to use this as a term, I it's a strong word, I it's a, it's a funny term at best, but I really explore this emphasis on TikTok being a strategy. We so far have come along to appreciating video uh, as a form of content that I think visually we get a lot of stimulation out, a lot of visual learners learn from, and then a lot of advertisement can actually turn into content. But if you look at the trajectory of a video, you know, a 20 minute video, you know, slowly became a 14 minute video, became an eight minute video, and now we're down to five or less. If lucky, you're, you're producing a five minute video that people are watching. I'll say 90 seconds is where we're at. But I think the whole idea around that is really that time is way more important than ever. And the currency exchange between a participant and, and a researcher is that time. So if we're not looking at it from the aspect of that, that participant really, you know, we can provide them with all the incentives, the prizes of the world, but really their currency in terms of time is what's most important to them. I think that is really true with younger folks. I think that's even more true with the pandemic, what we're dealing with as a society. We're all looking at our own time as as the most important currency. So one would say that the TikTok strategy is just really recognizing how we can get in front of, um, you know, these folks with great attention at the same time, not taking up too much of their time and then hopefully getting a a mutual exchange out of it. So I think there's some really interesting added benefits to looking at how social media is maybe, you know, working with uh, younger generations, how they're getting content or how people are using social media. And I would almost argue that that's where the mobile comes in is social media and mobile really are becoming, uh, you know, both uh, huge parts of our routines in society, whether I guess we kind of like it or appreciate it or not. Even on the research side, social media can often look at uh, like a, a monster or kind of the, a little bit of a villain when in retrospect, it's been an absolutely fantastic recruitment and marketing tool for us, you mm-hmm. know, um, given, given how things have changed. But I, I think to maybe even reel back a little bit to that, we, we've been talking about hard-to-reach populations, and, and often we're or they are experiencing barriers as a result. So we looked at even online being one. So you, on one hand, folks are looking at as online is a really easy way to get in front of participants, but even now we're working at Incitrix on a project where we're actually putting up flyers in clinics to actually get in front of a certain hard-to-reach segment, because that is really the only way you can. And we're providing them with a direct number with, uh, you know, information about uh, a real researcher so that they can actually connect with them. So there really isn't, um, you know, a be all end all solution for online. So these hard to reach segments are experiencing, I think, more than just those types of barriers. I think another one even is language. Language is a huge uh, barrier to research. And I'm sure uh, as an expert on the global scale and you know providing international research, this obviously is a common uh, challenge to ensure that data collection is you know, you know, wrapping up all the cultural context, the nuances and the intent of the problem that's been represented. So if you were to give advice to researchers who are working on that international level to ensure that they're making, uh, you know, the, the most out of the research, uh, you know, given perhaps a language barrier, uh, do you have any advice for those individuals? You, you've touched on one of my biggest
1: pet peeves in the industry, <laughs> and that is translations. Oh, my goodness, I cannot stress it (laughs) that surveys need to be translated into the language that uh, into the in-country language. I mean, that's the only way to get a really rich response from from the respondents. And also think about it. It's insulting to not (laughs) translate the questionnaire into the into the respondents language. It's rude. It's insulting. And also, if think about it, if you're bilingual, okay, yeah, many of them are bilingual, but they're not going to be able to converse um, as easily, as casually, um, with the most feeling in, in, unless they're in their native language. So yeah. I, I just can't stress it enough, Question, studies, inter, you know, globally, they need to be translated into the native language. And so what, if you have to translate it into five languages in some countries, you know, so what? That's what you do. If you want to get a good response, you know, that's the way it is. You you can't skimp on this. It's so important. And I also feel that it's important to um, when you're doing open-end coding to code in language for the, the richest response. You know, you need somebody who's a native speaker who will just read through that and understand, you know, all the nuances. They'll understand, you know, the phraseology. They'll just understand what what the respondent is getting at. So yes, I, I, that's <laughs> <my> rant. I'm <laughs> very passionate
0: about it. I, honestly, it's really true. And I find it ironic that, you know, English as a first language, it's often misinterpreted uh, in a way that it's a universal language. And let's be honest, English is <laughs> far from a universal language and i mm-hmm. think to to really uh, understand that is a valuable part of being an international researcher granted even doing research at home in canada we call ourselves a melting pot uh, even central canada we we are home to many populations um, and recognizing that if you really want to do say researchers with newcomers or, or recent immigrants that uh, you know to, to really recognize what that research uh, survey looks like uh, to, to whom you're, you're doing the research with. So I mean and again again I think this kind of touches a little bit on uh, the whole aspect of diversity on your research team right And I think yourself as a CEO and a principal you know for a international research uh, firm again, you really, I'm sure appreciate how to approach new talent to ensure that there is diversity on your firm. We're seeing it everywhere. Lots of lots of uh, folks within the industry are recognizing how important it is for this reason. But do you have perhaps any foundational, uh, perhaps tips for organizations that may be looking to expand on their own team, especially if they're looking to expand on their research capabilities on an international level? Well, I think one thing that that's popped up in the in the past
1: uh, few months, actually. Is um, the Insights Association has established the Ideator um, uh, program? Let us say um, where and and a lot of the very large research firms have just um, hopped onto this. So what they're doing is they're creating um, an intern um, internships uh, with where they're going. So they're going to um, they're they're recruiting people from underserved populations, and um, they are recruiting them into research positions at a lot of the larger firms. A lot of the firms have already um, jumped, hopped onto this. And I think it's going to be a great program um, for getting people in underserved populations interested in our industry. You know, I I somehow think that um, even today, people people don't really know that much about our industry. Um, I don't think they're aware um, that it it is a wonderful industry where we're, you know, we're studying. I, I think maybe the word research scares people away, but where we're studying so many diverse and interesting things and where we're talking to people all over the world. Mm-hmm. What an enormous privilege it is to be in this industry, to be able to talk to people throughout the world to learn about how they feel, what they think. Um, it, it's a wonderful industry. And, I, and I, I'm very excited about this, um, this ideator program from the Insights Association. I think it's going to pave the way for uh, young people to uh, move into this industry from um, populations that are underserved. So I think it's a great, a great new thing.
0: I think anyone that is really naturally curious would do well in the market research or insights industry. Um, you so often hear when people mention, especially career uh, long market research professionals, uh, you know, how did you get into market research? And often they never know, or at the very least, they never know how and why they ended up there. And I, I kind of love that about the industry because I think even being curious about market research itself is often. Uh, why folks end up in the profession that they do. And then because, as you mentioned, we get such a privilege to to really be I, I mean, gate, gatekeepers maybe not the most. It's a bit strong language to say, but gatekeepers of information, I think, is really it's kind of a cool, maybe a little bit sci-fi type aspect of it. Nerd in me, but uh, I, I do love that whole aspect. And as a as a young um, woman uh, within my career as well, I really do appreciate the the ability to to innovate every day and come up with cool and exciting solutions. And it's so awesome when you have a client that wants to innovate right along with you and the, the really unique things and the partnership that comes out of it. So I, you know, I don't want to say there have been silver linings in the past two years. And I know we're dealing uh, with a lot as an as a industry, but also a, a world, as a society, Uh, But I always um, and maybe I'm glass half full type person, but I still feel like research is a really strong um, industry that will that will really carry, I think, a lot of uh, our clients needs forward just in, you know, even just if it's a comfort uh, aspect, consulting and advice goes a long way uh, right now and getting quick advice, ensuring that, you know, our, our clients are making better, better decisions just based off of the the small things that we're working on, even what we talked about today. Uh, just uh, you know, I think the pandemic has allowed a lot of us, even individually and maybe as an industry, to look inwards and here's an example where we're looking at better ways to ensure that we're reaching hard to reach segments um, you know because we 've all been kind of a little bit forced uh, for lack of a better term online, and here we are still ensuring and looking for ways to make sure that we're uh, performing research without bias and still getting it in front of our clients so I, yeah, there's, I mean, we could probably talk about this topic all day because it's such an important. Um, you know, part of the industry and we're always trying to ensure that, you know, the quality remains intact. And I think you even made a, you know, a couple of points around that, that uh, online does uh, provide challenges to market research with, you know, ensuring that we're validating appropriate, you know, um, users and participants of the research that we're doing our vetting and, and background checks and et cetera. So I, again, there's, there's lots that we can unpack today, but I really do appreciate you for being on the podcast and, um, I think there, there's room for us to continue and, and maybe we'll we'll have you on again and really kind of explore uh, around the diversity in research. I think that that is such a unique topic as well. I think a lot of the industry is really finding um, you know ways to support both their research service team uh, as well as their clients. And again, that collaboration aspect, I think even outside of hiring, uh, outsourcing is another example, which I know uh, even yourself is really privy to why that is important to us as an industry. So I think if I were to leave the floor to you, is there anything that you would like to kind of share, uh, you know, land on and the conversation on anything exciting going on that you'd like to share?
1: Well, I I, I would like to um, first to thank you for this okay. great opportunity uh, to talk to you, uh, for your listeners, to hear my point of view. Um, what a great privilege it is. I've, that's the other thing I, you know, I, what a great privilege it is to work in this industry of ours. Um, yeah. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been through a lot of changes in the industry, a lot of pivots, and I still love what I do. So, you know, there it is for all of those young people who wanna do something that they'll really love, um, come to market research. So that's one thing that I'd like to leave you with. Thank you so much for Charday for giving me this opportunity. But the other thing that I wanna to remember today is I wanna remember the people of the Ukraine. You know, I think it's so important for us to support them um, and to support them in any way that we can. Um, I just hope that we um, come to some sort of a conclusion to this horrible, uh, the horrible events there. And uh, remember the the people of Ukraine. And, you know, also remember our women in research, you know, here we are, you and I. So, (laughs) um, you know, I think, you know, we were an underserved population as well. So I think that um, the fact that, you know, we get to do this every day, Um, is a wonderful privilege. So, again, thank you so much for this. Um, I really appreciate uh, being on with you today.
0: Thank you, Anne. And to end, I will provide some well-deserved links in the description below. Um, You can also donate to the Ukrainian uh, Red Cross that we will provide a link as well. Um, At Incitrix Research, we are currently working with our Sasquatch research panel and our panel members to match donations for Uh, the Ukrainian Red Cross efforts, so I will also provide a link for Sasquatch members that may be listening. Um, And yes, I I 100% agree if we can just always make sure that, you know, uh, you know, recognizing what's going on in the world, research is a really important part of that. I know even as an industry, we're also looking at uh, how some other folks are doing uh, research in Ukraine, and we're looking at how we can support those individuals. I know we're, ourselves, as a podcast, we're looking at trying to get the folks uh, that have been doing uh, in-field research, actually, in Ukraine uh, to see if, if there's a possibility that we can get their story out there. So, it, yeah, it, it's such an interesting time, so anything that we can kind of do to keep things relevant, keep the conversation going uh, whatever platform that is, I think we have to so I appreciate that and uh, and let's have you back sometime soon. I think there's uh, obviously lots to talk about as women in research so I, I welcome any any woman back to, to come in and share some of their their thoughts so uh, thanks again.
1: Thank you Shana. have a great day. you too.